Welcome to the Ninja Tune Podcast. I'm Matt Black from Colcut, and for the next hour, I'll be sitting down with Machine Drum to talk about his new album, Vapor City. We'll hear some tracks from the album and talk about the concept behind it and his musical upbringing, interests, and roots, plus his collaborations with other artists. And we'll also have a listen to five records that have influenced him over the years. Travis Stewart, aka Machine Drum. We're going to be talking about his new album, Vapor City, forthcoming on Ninja Tune. So, Travis, how's it going? Yeah, good. Great to be here. So, your new album is called Vapor City, and that's coming out on Ninja Tune in September. And I was reading about it, and apparently the concept behind it came from some dreams or a series of dreams that you were having. And I'm interested in lucid dreaming myself, so I thought we might talk about that a bit. Could you tell us about your dream journey? Yeah, you know, um, maybe for the, like the last half year that I was living in New York, um, I was kind of uh, debating if I wanted to live there anymore. And I was visiting Berlin a lot more, and and I was kind of like in my head, like really mixed up, like where I wanted to be. And um, maybe that was uh, th- these dreams were a result of that I just started kind of maybe t- once or twice a week I would start dreaming about the same sort of city I would kind of be there and instantly recognize I was in the city I would see all the same shops and clubs and streets and and various little details about the architecture and just the feel of the city I mean there's really tall buildings so it felt like really kind of immersed in this vast uh, city, um, this really sprawling kind of city, but I could even, in a lucid way, sort of 
kind of zoom out from where I was and sort of get an idea of where in the city I was. And I would see a lot of reoccurring um, things like um, these theme parks and uh, this metro line that kind of like uh, zipped around the city like a, a above ground sort of monorail kind of thing. And um, and this kept happening uh, for about a year in the first half year that I lived in Berlin. And, and so the architecture of the city sort of became a mix of New York and Berlin, but also a lot of other random cities I've, I've been to. I mean, it's kind of the nature of a dream is it takes shapes, many different shapes of uh, your subconscious and kind of like puts them all together. So I, I figured I was having these dreams for a reason. And at the same time, I was working on an album and it kind of made sense to sort of, uh, you know, uh, make the album based on the city. And uh, Vapor City was just a name that I gave to it, uh, a name that I'd came up with, like, some friends, uh, like, just, like, kind of as a joke, but then it, like, sort of, like, started becoming more of a real thing. Uh, yeah, and, and when I when it came to picking the tracks and everything, it just... I almost started looking at the sonic groupings of each track as as like districts of the city, and uh, and it just made the whole idea of the concept come to life even more. Vapor City, the musical influences on it. I noticed a strong jungle and drum and bass influence. And uh, perhaps you could talk about your musical inputs. What styles have most influenced you? With this album and uh, even my last album for uh, Planet Mew, um, it's sort of been this... Um, full circle kind of journey that I've been like completing um, from the uh, inception of Machine Drum like when I started the project in the late 90s I was really interested in exploring this um, sort of middle ground uh, or similarities between hip-hop and jungle because I saw you know obviously hip-hop was like the halftime tempo of, of jungle uh, like literally in tempo uh, Tempo-wise, but also within stylistically, you know, uh, Jungle essentially was the hip hop of the UK. Like that was sort of the the, the underground urban kind of music, and um, and so I, I kind of dis discovered this on accident one day in the '90s, like listening to I can't even remember what Jungle tune, but I was like 
flipping through the record with the needle and, and kind of landed halfway through the beat of a jungle tune and, and started listening to it as if the snares were landing half time, even though that wasn't how the, the track was, but in my head, like the one had switched and that became sort of like the basis of what I wanted to, how I wanted to make tunes. I kind of wanted to explore this halftime meets double time thing. So I was making tracks then like around 80 or 90 BPM. And then over time kept pushing the tempo up and up and up. And I lived in New York for a while and was like uh, really into like dance music and house music. And so started exploring more like 110 to 130 kind of BPMs. And then uh, in the past few years has been pushing it all the way up to like 150, 160, 170 and sort of revisiting that same original approach that I made but this time from the other end of the spectrum. And uh, yeah, so it's it's been really exciting to kind of uh, come back to this point. Funny, I got the opportunity to meet Grandmaster Flash a few years ago and John and I did a collaboration with him and we wanted to sort of turn him on to Jungle. So we played him some tracks and he was like, oh yeah, I get it. It's just about the paradiddles on the snare. Because in fact, there's no difference between a track at 80 and a track at 160. It's just about how much of that space you've filled up with the snares and, uh, and the other drum elements. So they can just be double, but they can also be reduced down and then you get into a sort of middle feel. So that was an interesting insight. Um, uh, it's a nice uh, statement actually that jungle is the hip-hop of the UK. I've, I haven't heard anyone put it as simply as that before. I think there's a lot of truth in that. Because hip-hop's just been such a powerful cultural force worldwide. And I think if you asked the artists on Ninja Tune what musical style they have in common, it would be hip-hop more than anything else. Can you tell us a bit about the influence of jungle in the US? Because it's never really taken off but I think music makers like yourself have, have appreciated it as a, a sort of new style. As goes with a lot of styles of electronic music that were sort of birthed in the UK, they, those original forms never really took off in America but there's always been some sort of Americanized version that sort of pops up from it. Um, I mean, you know, the drum and bass scene definitely became a really big thing in America, but that became more of a the, the technical side, the, the like tech step kind of um, just more rigid drum machine programming style of drum and bass rather than using like sampled breaks and, and whatnot. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I feel like people are, are sort of opening up to a lot of UK styles, like a lot of 90s sort of uh, uh, styles now because it's sort of in a way becoming a retro thing. And um, so you see a lot of like younger people kind of getting into it for various reasons, you know. I mean, a, a big reason I think is that we kind of live in a time now where you know, localized music is kind of a thing of the past. I mean, there's there's definitely scenes that are birthed in different cities, but definitely not as much as there were, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, just with the the, the ease of finding music online and, and, and connecting with different people around the world. It's really hard to pinpoint where that music came from or, or, or why you know they made it is is it a cultural thing or is it because they they've um 
you know, just uh, is it, well, it's a new cultural thing. Right? It's an internet culture thing. So, so let's relate that then. You know, I yes, it's true that the internet has caused a lot of fusion of styles and music that was only available in a certain area has now spread out globally. But still, cities in particular. London, New York, Berlin, Tokyo do have styles which then spread out and scatter. Tell us, can, can you relate that uh, to your move from New York to Berlin? What are the defining characteristics? What are the differences between the cities, particularly with regard to music styles? And how has that influenced you? Um dance music is definitely very prevalent in both New York and Berlin um, I think maybe with more of an emphasis on the pop side of things in New York than in Berlin um, and you know obviously you know the stereotype for Berlin is that it's a big techno city which which it is but there's also many other producers creating a wide uh, variety of styles of music and that's kind of what brought me there was you know uh, not only was there a lot of like eclectic forms of music but also there's just sort of this more laid-back nature to to the people in berlin whereas everything in new york just seemed a bit too cutthroat and 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 um you know like a little too fast-paced to like really uh, you know kind of lay back and like sort of like get your bearings on like where you're at stylistically and where you want to go and uh, rather than just trying to win the rat race or something. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been really influential to me uh, living in Berlin and especially going out to, you know, clubs like Berghain and Panorama Bar and just sort of seeing how not only techno, but just electronic music in general, how it works in these like mega clubs and, and seeing DJs playing, you know, two to four hour sets and, and sort of like letting tracks build and rather than just trying to throw as many tracks at you as possible like which is kind of the what I was used to living in America and, and that in itself has, has uh, not only influenced me as a DJ but influenced me uh, compositionally how I uh, create tracks and how, how they build and you can hear a lot of that on Vapor City actually
got you into making music in the first place? It's kind of hard to pinpoint anything exact. I mean, it's definitely it, it definitely had to do with my family. You know, I grew up um, with a baby grand piano in the house and just naturally started learning how to play it, like teaching myself. I, I never took formal lessons on the piano until I was in college, but um, so I had that. My mom. Uh, used to love she doesn't play as much anymore but she would play a lot when I was growing up and my dad was like tinkering around with different instruments he wasn't really serious about them but he would like collect different uh, uh, instruments and then my grandpa um, was in a country band and is still in a country band to this day he plays the pedal steel which is a beautiful instrument um, really complicated instrument too um, I don't think it gets enough credit <laughs> to be honest um, yeah, he played. He still plays every Saturday at the same same club. Uh, so I mean, yeah, I had I had that, and and my cousin was a singer songwriter. She played uh, acoustic guitar, and and so I, I just had these people around me that um, uh, you know just had this love for music, and I think that's where it started at a very early age. I think I was, I think I wrote a song about my babysitter and recorded it to like a, a tape machine, and you know, I was playing. A, acoustic guitar or something. I think that was the very first one. I think it was, I think it was like five or something. <laughs> So let's talk about some of your collaborations, the Sepulchre and the Jets and Dream Continuum. I love working with different people and uh, in this studio where we are, Space Lab, it's set up to do jams with people and I really enjoy that but I haven't often come out of it with something which I end up using, it's just more fun doing stuff in the moment. Do you jam with people? How do your different collaborations uh, come about? What are your approaches to working collaboratively? I spent a good period of time when I was um, in school for audio engineering uh, in Orlando. I was sort of experimenting with collaboration like more than any other point in my life where I was starting bands like with random friends like experimental noise bands performance art kind of stuff ambient electronic all kinds of things and it was more meant to be these jam kind of things that were like sort of uh 
you know, like a like a Zen garden sort of thing, where it was like just for the gods in a way, and wasn't really meant to be uh, recorded. I mean, we would record these like crazy jams and stuff, but yeah, I wasn't. It wasn't about like putting them out there or anything. So I I, I think that was a really important thing for me to sort of uh, get into the the mindset of, of of working with others. And you know, I I played in in jazz band i played bass guitar and and drums and in high school and, and the first couple of years of uh, uh uni and then i was also in an african ensemble uh, and and several other percussion ensembles so i already kind of had that idea of like how to work with other musicians sort of thing but um you know growing up in north carolina i didn't i didn't really know that many musicians i could like really vibe with that were like came from the same sort of uh, influences as I had so I, that's why I sort of honed in on my own thing and, and, and tried to really develop myself as a solo artist so it was good to, to go through both of those things but now in the past few years I, I feel like I really love collaboration but I'm very selective of who I collaborate with and it's it generally tends to be people that I've known for a really long time like for instance with um with Jets, uh, me and Jimmy Edgar have known each other for like 12, 13 years, something like this, and have only started this project in the past few years. Um, and I think that just comes from getting to know each other like so well and just sort of being so comfortable with each other that we can just sit down in the studio, get everything done without even kind of speaking with each other and I think that that's really important f for me uh, when I'm collaborating with somebody somebody that I sort of feel like a inherent connection to that uh, we've already kind of gone through all the formalities like and and hardships of, of friendship and and sort of let that even kind of work itself into the studio sessions in a way. As uh, someone who's never really got down with musical chops myself, how important is it, do you think, for an electronic musician to be able to actually play some instruments? 
I wouldn't say it's a necessity. I think everybody has their own approach. And, you know, I've, I've heard some especially brilliant music come from non-musicians, uh, from the traditional sense of being a musician. But for me, it's I think it makes me who I am just... Uh, uh, through the understanding of the different instruments that I play but at the same time I am very self self-taught which can lead to some sort of barriers especially when working with other musicians but um, you know I I have had some experience you know learning theory and just just enough to sort of have it in there that I can kind of speak the language enough to communicate with others uh, other musicians but I I think it's just really important to strive to, to to go for what's natural what what you feel like you know you you want to make part of your repertoire and like what you want to um, like focus on as as like your your instrument DJ Shadows, uh, a music maker, probably in a similar camp to John and myself. I don't think he was a trained musician, but he certainly made his mark. Shadow recently remixed uh, Machine Drum, Eyes Don't Lie. Tell us a bit about your link to him. Uh, yeah, we've just started talking uh, recently this summer. We figured out we had some mutual friends in San Francisco and we got linked up and I mean, I've been a huge fan of his music since the beginning of Machine Drum. You know, I, he, he was one of uh, one of those guys that I, I just like really looked up to that was sort of pushing uh, the boundaries of like what we knew as like hip hop music and, and sort of like bringing in electronic influence. And back then, like anybody that was kind of pushing that sound, I was like all about. And so it's, it's really amazing to, to be able to uh, work with him now and and just sort of like it, it, it's it's weird really like whenever we hang out we it, it almost seems like we've known each other for a long time Tears for the island, tears for the island, tears for the island. 
Contact. So you're going to be doing some live shows up and coming. What are the plans for the live show? It's quite uh, always a challenge I find for electronic musicians to know how to do a live show that's entertaining. What are your plans? Plan is to do a performance of the album, um, like blending the tracks together and sort of going on this be- upward BPM journey uh, through the tracks. But um, um, uh, instrumentation-wise, uh, I'll have a drummer playing with me, uh, the same drummer that I I toured with maybe seven or eight years ago. He's an amazing drummer. Uh, he's uh, kind of comes from a math rock and jazz background so he kind of understands his place like within the beat and doesn't really play on top uh, so I'm really excited about working with him uh, the rehearsals have been going great um, and I'm uh, playing keys doing vocals playing guitar uh, and I have you know like stems of the track so I can like drop out stuff and sort of do dubby things to the tracks um, we're going to have live visuals from Weirdcore, who is amazing. Um, I've been just recently working with him this summer with Jets. He did our live visuals, and I was so impressed with that that I was like, I have to work on everything with this guy. Uh, he's essentially making Vapor City come to life in the live shows. You're going to have this sort of journey through the districts um, song by song. And uh, yeah, so I'm really excited about it think visuals are an important part of electronic music performance nowadays yeah i i think it's important um i i think you know where it 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 either has to be really powerful or just do no visuals at all because like there's a lot of times where there's just you know some generic sort of vj kind of hired and sort of does like kaleidoscopic um, screensaver type things and and even with lighting you know you'll you'll have some trigger happy guy that's just kind of trying to guess your drops or whatever and turning on strobe lights at inappropriate times so sometimes I I opt for either complete pitch black where people can sort of just zone in on the music and and not really have to have eye candy or you know and that's in the appropriate venue you know maybe like smaller clubs and 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 stuff like that but when you know in a a proper concert venue it's nice to take advantage of uh the facilities and and sort of do something nice um especially if you know like with the quality of projectors that we have these days and uh yeah so i wanted to take that opportunity um for favor city live
So this is Matt Black. I'm here with Travis Stewart of Machine Drum. And Travis has selected five favourite tracks as musical choices to hear on the show. Let's hear the first of those. It's Tortoise Jetty. Travis, tell us a bit about why you've selected that track. This album, TNT, the song came from, a really big one for me. It was um, the first time I had sort of heard this melding of uh, acoustic and electronic music in a way that I'd never really heard done before and very influential to me early on. And this song in particular, is it's it's almost like a standard in a way to me just the the melody of um that goes on throughout i mean they've they've even made i think multiple versions of it with different side projects of of tortoise and um i'm really into that idea of like you know you don't really hear many modern standards in a way and and it, it it's cool how they managed to do it in in such a unique way and um, I I can imagine one day uh, aspiring to sort of do that once I'm making less club music and sort of putting together more of a traditional band kind of thing.
Next up, we're going to listen to Push Button Objects, non-existent, and Jesscom remix. Now, Jesscom is an alias for Orteca, I believe. Now, I've known the Orteca guys, Sean and Rob. I haven't seen them for a while, but I've known them for years. Tell us a bit about your uh, links to them. They were definitely, and and still are, uh, influence um, from very early on. I, I think I found out about their music through MTV Amp. Like, there was... Uh, the video for Second Bad Vibel, I don't know how you pronounce it, um, uh, the one that Chris Cunningham made. It was just absolutely mind-blowing, especially coming from sort of a... I was really into industrial music uh, in high school, and uh, to sort of hear them taking these like harsh kind of mechanical sounds and, and just, you know, I, I could hear like how how much detail they put into like percussion and, and rhythm but also within sound design and kind of bringing those elements together um, and even their melodic sensibility like just was was very different very unique almost classical in a way and um, you know that I I've always looked forward to their albums as sort of like an update to like where we are with electronic music in a way like technologically and um, yeah, so I'm always heavily anticipating all of their albums. Let's have a listen to Push Button Objects, non-existent, the Jazzcom remix. Because the, 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 because the,
I love that track actually. I didn't know it before you played it. And there's some really messed up rhythmic stuff going on there. Pretty ahead of its time, I would say, actually. Um, what's your take on messed up rhythms in electronica? Well, the reason I picked this track, uh, I mean, this track in itself sort of inspired Machine Drum as a project. I, you know, the fact that they could take this hip hop beat and sort of dissect it and turn it into this polyrhythmic kind of dance jam just really hit at home uh, with me in particular at the time because I was an African ensemble and really sort of uh, discovering these like polyrhythmic sort of approaches to to composition and how you could hear rhythms within rhythms and the fact that they could do this within an electronic song just kind of blew my mind and they and they've done it with a few other uh, autecker songs you know um you'll you'll have like this this rolling kind of like one beat at like one tempo and then sort of a tri- triplet kind of goes in over it and suddenly that triplet in your head becomes a, a eighth note and suddenly you're listening to like a totally different tempo uh and i i find that uh f- fascinating um, that they can do it um, electronically and I was trying to tinker around with that with my first album and um, yeah I just just love that whole concept that's fascinating next up we're going to listen to Philip Glass opening now for me Phil Glass and Steve Reich are two giants of music who have both sort of explored the area which you just been talking about in phase shifting experiments uh, do you agree with that and what was your introduction to those artists because they're both two new york guys as well uh funny enough i was i think i was in a record shop in uh, orlando and uh, i was asking the um uh, the owner if they had anything similar vein to tortoise and he was like, well, if you like Tortoise, you should hear where that kind of stuff came from and, and pointed me to uh, music for 18 musicians. And it, I proceeded to have my mind blown the whole next week listening to that record over and over and over again. And um, I think I wore out the record, actually. But um, yeah, I mean, with him and, and Philip Glass, um, you know, I, I sort of learned about them around the same time. And I just to to hear, you know, modern classical music that was essentially influenced by modern dance music in a way, even though they they might not necessarily say that that was their primary influence. But to just hear this, you know, like most modern music is based around repetition, and and to hear these sort of like uh, classical instrumentation. Uh, put with this sort of uh, repetitive idea um, I don't know I, th- I, th- I think it's like really cool and, and it sort of uh, influenced me you know to sort of uh, blend together different worlds I've got to say music creating musicians probably my favourite piece of music in the whole world and I'm still getting into it every time I listen to it I have it on in the car basically that's it that's my car CD every time I listen I'm hearing more stuff in there I'm hearing more layers and appreciating the the polyrhythmic nature is just an amazing piece of music. So let's listen to Philip Glass opening.
So that was Philip Glass opening. Travis, tell us a bit about that particular track. Well, when it came to picking a track from Philip Glass, and, and even after talking about Steve Reich, you know, I, I was considering one of his songs, but it was really hard to, to pick one. The reason I picked opening is um, actually every time I sit down at a piano, my warm-up piece is opening. Uh, I, I kind of have my own sort of bastardized version of it that I play because I, I don't actually play uh, to the music uh, itself but it you know it's it's always sort of the way I warm up on, on piano and it's such a beautiful song and um, you know it's it, it, like once I figured out kind of how to play it it just became sort of my, my go-to thing any, anytime I sit down. <laughs> Next up we've got Lightning Bolt and a track called 13 Monsters tell us a bit about that. Funny enough, around the same time that I was uh, starting to learn more about Philip Glass and, and Steve Reich, I was also being exposed to the, the world of Load Records, um, which puts out a, a lot of like really crazy art noise sort of records. And Lightning Bolt kind of blew my mind in, in a completely different way than uh, Steve Reich and Philip Glass did, but in just their intensity and and the fact that they could just make so much sound from two people and just seeing them live and hearing, like, it's, it's rare that you can have somebody that has so much energy live translate on record and somehow they they both, like, they, they keep that consistent level. I, I mean, if... if if not more intensity live for sure i mean it's obvious like one of the loudest bands i've ever heard in my life but um yeah just i don't know there's something to the intensity of it and 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 just like the visceral feeling of of the music that it just gives me chills let's listen to 13 monsters by lightning bolt
Wow, that was pretty intense. So finally in uh, Machine Drum Selections, we've got DJ Nate, I'm a Dog. Rather a telling title. Tell us a bit about this. DJ Nate, um, I discovered with my friend years ago, maybe it was still in the days of MySpace, he had this, this page that said like, personal tracks, 25 bucks. And like, he would just make you a track if you sent him 25 bucks. Like he would, he would make you like a, uh, a personal dance uh, tune. And there were just these crazy rhythms. I mean, foot, footwork and juke had, had been around for a while, but there was something about this kid. I mean, he was, I think at the time he was like 16 or 17 uh, when he, when he made this track, I believe. And there was something just really out there about his rhythms. And, and I was actually kind of joking around to friends. I would, I would send it to friends. I'm like, Hey, here's the new, the new warp act, uh, DJ Nate. And lo and behold, planet Mew signs him a few years later. Um, so, but, um, yeah, this, this track just sort of, um, it just made me really excited and, and it was really funny and uh, really cool to hear how like how brutal the drum programming is but also how ridiculous the whole thing is like hearing this crazy I'm a dog mantra over and over again I don't know there's something a little mind-blowing about it Was that actually a track that he made for you, personal track, 25 bucks? Or? No, unfortunately I missed out on the, the $25 track, Boat. It's a great concept actually, I think we might get into that. It's been very notable over the last three years how a new wave or explosion even of electronic music seems to be gripping the States big time and Skrillex is the most sort of obvious example of that. We did actually get to play with him just before he went huge. Some rather canny promoter friends of mine booked him in Brighton to do a show with us when we were doing a show about renewable energy. I was on before him, (laughs) quite an uncomfortable position to be in. But um, electronic music, sort of spearheaded by the term dubstep, has really blown up big. And we're asking ourselves, is this finally the time when that sound, our sound, electronic music really goes big in the States and finally topples rock from its overlong reign over the ears and minds of America. When I moved to Berlin uh, like two and a half years ago, I was really frustrated with what was going on in the States. And this is around the time that 
Skrillex wasn't really that big yet, but was starting to become sort of known. But there was definitely this this bastardized version of dubstep going on in America, like really testosterone driven, like angry bass lines, like almost more heavily uh, mid range, sort of uh, reliant kind of bass line programming. And if I wasn't playing that, I wasn't. I wasn't making people happy on the dance floor and and you know that was getting really frustrating but now in the past year or year and a half with the emergence of this EDM culture um, it's it's sort of opened up a lot of opportunities for electronic musicians because it is a vague term I mean anybody from Tiesto to Major Lazer to Skrillex could be considered EDM and yeah, this is a good thing. This isn't the first time it's happened either. Like in the in the 90s, there was a, a period of time where electronica was kind of a thing, and you had people like Chemical Brothers, and Fatboy Slim, and Crystal Method, and the Prodigy, and all these guys that were really huge, and and people sort of understood what electronic music was, and that sort of went away for a while. And I think we're we're starting to see it again, and it's it's really exciting. Totally resonate with that attitude you know a lot of people go on that oh it's a sellout it's got watered down it's gone all shit but there's a lot of inertia in the states and worldwide in musical taste and uh, things that rip that open and give it a good kicking in our general direction are, are good so have you seen our app ninja jam yeah it's cool it's a unique way for people to kind of dive inside of tracks off of ninja tune it's cool so it's been a pleasure to have you on the show, Travis. Thanks so much for coming in. And uh, what's your next step? Just uh, touring for the album this fall up until December. Each month, going to see content being rolled out throughout the next year based on each district, uh, Vapor City. But if you want to get some special advantages over other people, you should sign up to become a Vapor City citizen. And uh, you can find out how to do that on machinedrum.net. So I'm heading right over there to sign up so I can be one of the, the first citizens. Travis, thanks very much. about this time we're going to turn our attention to some of the new music coming out on Ninja Tune and its family of labels. First up we've got Rafferty and Rain and I had the pleasure of hanging out with Rafferty and some of his friends at a listening party over in West London a couple of weeks ago where we just got a bunch of mates together and he invited me to play some of my favourite tracks. Also his Build Me Up is out on Ninja Jam. Check it out. Don't cry in time, never mind. You'll see this 
Next up, a new track from the man Toddler T. This is called Flash. favorite renegade grime star Wiley and his new track Flying on Big Dada. Esky boy. I'm back where I wanna be 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 Might think I'm mad but I'm saying no Personality colorful like a rainbow Girls checking me out cause I'm a hot boy So they wanna see me out stage show Can't believe I'm here in the mainstream It's not a daydream I run the A-team A-listed They missed it Yeah, yeah, I get playlisted I'm in the city like double yellow lines If you pay a fine late They be doubling the fine I'm getting money but I'm doubling the mind When I work getting it I will double up on the crime But now it's all good I'm on a path with it Do a song, have a joke, have a laugh with it I ain't out here saying what it's gonna be No way cause I'm back where I wanna be 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 That was Wiley and a new jam called Flying Gonna be out on Big Dada shortly Staying with the Big Dada imprint We've got a new signing called Cell Brocco And this is a housey number called Little Bit In Love Yeah. 
keeping the eclectic flag flying high on Big Dada, that rather nice slice of house club goodness was called Little Bit In Love by Cell Brocco. Now I remember Congo Natty when he was called Rebel MC round about the time that Colcut started out and his track The Wickedest Sound I remember playing often and he's gone through changes since then and established himself as quite a force on the UK drum and bass and roots reggae scene in his Congo Natty identity also on Big Dada this is a track called Get Ready So my ninjas, this has been the test. I am Matt Black from Cold Cut Ninja Tune, here with Travis Stewart, Machine Drum special guest on the show this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Keep it locked. Keep it ninja. Yeah.